Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'll be reading the scripture verse this morning. That'll be, uh, um, Josh is going to be speaking on it. Um, we're on Romans 14. This is going to be a really long one. Uh, Romans 14, uh, the whole chapter, and Romans 15, 1 through 13. So, starting verse 1 in chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or do you, or you why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, he, 
The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Thanks, John. Folks, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God of endurance, God of encouragement, God of hope, we come before you with confidence because we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness not our own. And God, so we thank you that you have welcomed us here into your presence. God, this is our home. You are our Father. We are brothers and sisters. And now, God, we submit to you, to your authority, to the authority and beauty of your Word. So Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts and in our minds. God, shape us into the Gospel-changed people that you want us to be so that we will glorify you and so that our witness will be strong and credible in this community and wherever we live, wherever we work, and wherever we pray. God, we lift your name high and we bow ourselves low this morning at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, We are going to continue in our series on Romans where uh, God has been explaining the gospel So we started out by, um, in the first few chapters, uh, understanding the need for the gospel, and then the beauty of the gospel, and now, as Corey uh, reminded us uh, last Sunday, we are in this section starting in chapter 12 where um, Paul is explaining to us, uh, uh, painting for us a picture of what it's like for Christians to be changed by the gospel, like what effect it has on us, that we are supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not to be conformed to the world. So one thing I want to remind us of, uh, it comes from 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is a familiar verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The New Living Translation Uh, says it like this, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. We've been dissecting what salvation means, right? As we've been studying um, the book of Romans. And what we know, what I want to remind you of, is that salvation 
it not only creates a new person, but it creates a new people. A new group of people. And that is the church. That's who we are right now. We are new persons coming together as a new people under the authority and leadership of God. And so for that reason, in the book of Romans, God helps us see not only what the life of a single gospel-changed person should look like, but He helps us see uh, what the life of a group of gospel-changed Christians should look like. What the life of the church should look like. So if you are here because you love Jesus, because you have followed Jesus into this community that He calls the church, this is relevant for you. How does God want to shape you into kind of gospel-changed Christian that will help form us into a gospel-changed church? One of our values at Point Church is community. And this text, you guys, this text is vital for us becoming that biblical community that God is calling us to and inviting us into. So the big idea this morning, the big idea from what John read, is that Christians who are being transformed by the Gospel pursue unity in the church without demanding uniformity. There's going to be differences among us. Differences on secondary matters. But we do not require that unity with those other people means that we have to be uniform in everything that we believe and think. The bottom line is that Christians fight for unity in their church. Christians fight for unity in their church. Now let me explain why I chose the word fight. Fight for unity. 1 Peter 5.8 Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6 For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, we've got to remember that there is something going on that we can't see, but it is all too real. Folks, there is a battle going on, and our battles are not just with flesh and blood enemies, right? But against these unseen evil forces. The devil is on the prowl, and folks, this is a fight. We know the end of the fight, we know the end of the fight, but like that, that wounded lion, right? That wounded beast, the enemy is continuing to fight and we have to fight against them in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus prays in one of His last prayers in John 17, I'm praying not only for the, these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in Me through their message. I pray that they will be one. Just as you and I, Father, are one, I pray that they will be one. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Now get this. Why is this important again? I'll add another layer to it. 
Jesus says, I pray that they will all be one so that the world will believe you sent me. Brothers and sisters, this unity, this unity that Jesus will, that Jesus will create in us, in our community, is mission critical. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mission critical. If we are going to have effectiveness in our mission of pointing people to Jesus, of being and making disciples of all nations throughout the world, we have to fight for unity in our congregation. It has an impact on our mission and our witness outside the world. Now think about the world. Our society right now. Would you say that you, would you describe it mostly as a unified society or a fractured society? I'd say probably fractured, right? That we're divided, that we're angry. I mean, we don't know how to disagree anymore, right? We don't know how to disagree respectfully anymore. We, we don't know how to discuss our differences with respect and with kindness. And every issue seems to be a primary issue, right? Every issue is a big rock, you know? There are no little rocks. And because of that, we are outraged at everything, right? Everything is just, is just causing us to boil and, and, and to seethe. And the response is that we can't talk about our differences of opinion. And, and this fear, folks, if we get to the bottom of it, for the Christian community especially, fear and lack of trust in God it's breeding this anxiety and this anger. Fear, fear, fear. Folks, let's not succumb to this fear. Remember who is on the throne. So point church, I want to ask you, Romans 12, right? Don't be conformed to this world. Point church, will we be a mirror or will we be a map? Will we be a mirror to society? reflecting all of the same fractured stuff and, and easy and rabid tribalism? Or will we be a map pointing people, showing people a better way? Are we going to be a mirror or a map at Point Church? What are folks going to see when they look at Point Church? What are they going to see when they know that you are a part of Point Church? What are they going to see? Are they going to see all the same stuff that they see in the world? Or are they going to see a community that is fighting for unity steeped in grace and in truth? Will they see a community fighting for unity without demanding uniformity? So how are we going to do this? God gives us a lot of instruction in chapter 14 and 15 of Romans. Number one, Christians fight for unity by refusing to quarrel over secondary matters. By refusing to quarrel over secondary issues. So let me give you a little background. We heard the words weak and strong, right? Weak in their faith, strong in their faith. Well, what was happening here is we've got these two different groups in the Roman church. We've got the Greek background uh, believers and we've got the Jewish background believers. 
And what seems to be happening is that there are some of these Jewish background believers who they just can't shake some of these secondary rituals and stipulations from the Old Testament law, okay? So they are still submitting to, you know, this idea of kosher food and observing particular days, all right? It's not, Paul is not criticizing them for having no faith or uh, weak faith in uh, the fact that Jesus alone is their salvation, the supremacy of Jesus, right? They're not, he's not criticizing them for not believing that Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's criticizing them and calling them weak for their lack of insight into some of the implications of their faith in Christ. So get this, one author, he says, these are Christians who are just not able to accept for themselves the truth that their faith in Christ implies liberation from certain Old Testament ritual requirements. So you can think about it like this. Now, who has ever heard of Jordan Lake? Jordan Lake. Everett B. Jordan Lake. Maybe you didn't know that. B. B. Everett Jordan Lake. All right, It's not that far from here. It's uh, in Chatham County. It's a beautiful lake. Uh, you should go sometime. If you have a friend with a boat, uh, invite me. All right, so... Uh, Jordan Lake, uh, it's a man-made lake, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, they started uh, construction on this dam south of the Hall River, where the Hall River and the New Hope River um, uh, come together, in 1967. 1967. Well, in 1982, Jordan Lake was finally, finally finished filling. It took years for this lake to reach like the borders, right? Now, Jordan Lake is 13,900 acres, acres like, like broad, right? It covers 13,900 acres. And if you put that in football field terms, that's about 10,700 football fields. That's big, right? So you can imagine that it took years for those waters of the Hall River to reach every cove every nook and cranny in that lake. Well, if we think of the many implications and effects of the Gospel, like the waters of the Hall River filling the Jordan Lake, we can see that sometimes it takes a lot of time for those waters to reach every nook and every cranny and every cove of our heart and our mind. And that's, that's what was happening right here. This was a process that these Jews were going through. And Paul calls those who submit to these particular Old Testament regulations, he calls them weak in their faith, but he doesn't call, he doesn't call them sinful. Interesting, huh? If, if they believed that all the Old Testament laws and regulations, including circumcision, were binding on the New Testament Christian, then Paul would have used words here like he used in the Galatians 5 and says, why are you submitting yourself to a yoke of slavery? This is wrong, you know? But there was something about what these Christians were struggling to let go of that Paul says these brothers, their doubts, their opinions are not primary issues. Now get this, he calls their faith weak, so he wants it to be strengthened, right? He wants it to be strengthened. He wants us to grow if we have weaknesses in our faith, if we haven't completely applied all the implications of the gospel to our lives. He wants us to be strong. 
But the main problem here was not that kind of weakness. The main problem was in how the weak and the strong were treating one another. It was how the weak and the strong were thinking about one another. What their hearts, thoughts were about these other people. So what's the application for us this morning, Point Church? Folks, we must learn to distinguish between primary and secondary issues in the church. We see this in, in uh, verses 1 through 3. And how does this happen? Folks, this happens in conversation with other believers, right? Consult with your pastors. Talk to other mature believers who are reading the same Scriptures, who are studying some of these um, experts, you know? And, and when we distinguish between, we want to distinguish between primary and secondary issues, it requires a lot of prayer. It requires a lot of wisdom. And we've got to do it carefully. We've got to do it even that we've got to do in community. So, when you find that you fall in different camps on secondary issues, that doesn't mean that you cannot discuss those things respectfully, right? Politely, uh, honestly with other people in this room. It doesn't mean that you silence yourself and you just forget it, right? But what it means is that these issues are secondary importance and we're just not going to quarrel over them. Does that make sense? These are secondary issues and so we're not going to lose our tempers, right? We're not going to lose our tempers. Uh, we're not going to have heated arguments over them. We're going to discuss them as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not going to quarrel over them. This is what God is calling us to. We're not going to quarrel over them, and we are certainly not going to despise others because of their differences, uh, their differences with us on these secondary issues. That's point number two. Point number one, Christians fight for unity by refusing, refusing to quarrel over secondary matters, and Christians fight for unity by refusing to despise one another in our hearts now it's football season football season basketball season's coming up pretty excited about that uh let's see raise your hand if you have a favorite team do you have a favorite team okay now raise your hand if that favorite team has a um a worst enemy a rival yeah oh yeah yeah so uh, let's see, the Green Bay Packers, who are their rivals? I don't know. The Bears, right? All right. Um, let's see, who are some other rivals? Uh, let's see, the Dallas Cowboys, who are their rivals? Everybody? <laughs> the whole Duncan pew <laughs> says everybody. They don't like anybody. All right. Well, um, the NC State Wolfpack, who are their rivals? Nobody. <laughs> Same thing, okay? Nobody. Uh, uh, Corey's and kids, so, uh, you know, I'll survive for a little bit longer. Uh, does anybody know who the North Carolina Tar Heels rival is? The Duke Blue Devils. The Devils. 
So one of um, the neatest books I've read uh, in a while is uh, this book by William Blythe. Now check this, check this title out. To hate like this is to be happy forever. A thoroughly obsessive, intermittently uplifting, and occasionally unbiased account of the Duke, North Carolina basketball rival. It's a hilarious book. He calls it, To Hate Like This is to Be Happy Forever. Well, when we're talking about sports rivals, we got to remember not to take this stuff too seriously, you know, but we, we, it's okay, right? We can tease one another in good humor. We can give one another a hard time. But folks, when it comes to these secondary issues in the body of Christ, when our debate and our teasing evolves into quarreling and rivalry, evolves into disdain and despising and disrespecting, then we've crossed the line into sinful activity. You understand what I'm saying? Despise, what does that mean? A disdainful, condescending judgment, showing a lack of respect. It sometimes carries with it the nuance of reject with contempt. Pass judgment. What does that mean? That means to stand in judgment over someone. Get this. To determine someone's acceptability to God. That's what it means. To stand in judgment over somebody. To pass judgment over somebody. And brothers and sisters, this is a fight. Because I know if your heart is anything like mine, there is a temptation here. There is a temptation. Okay? And so we've got to take captive these thoughts. So brothers and sisters, when you start to feel yourself going into a, a, a dark place in your thoughts about a brother and sister in this room or somewhere else, right? When you feel your mind going there, when you feel yourself ruminating, all right, on this, this offense, on this disagreement, you need to take that thought captive. And you need to stop short of what I'm calling drawing satanic conclusions. Now, why am I using strong language like that? Because those conclusions about other people, brothers and sisters, Satan would be so happy if you went there. He would be so happy if you let those things just marinate and stew and brew and marinate and fester. Brothers and sisters, as Christians being transformed by the Gospel, we fight for unity by refusing to go there. By saying, no, I am not letting this happen. Jesus, help me not let this happen. We are going to refuse to despise one another and to pass judgment on one another. Whether they have a disagreement on a secondary issue or a primary issue, if we are in the family of God, we are fighting for unity. Why not? Why not? Why can't we go there? 14.4. 14 verse 4 says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We don't despise one another because our brothers and sisters belong to Jesus. They are Jesus' servants, and it is to that master that they must answer, not to us not a fellow servant. Now raise your hand if you're a husband in a room in the room. Are you a husband? We've got some husbands in here. Yeah. Husbands. Husbands um one of the scariest thoughts 
that I've come to realize was early in our marriage when I realized that Ray Fredette was not my first father-in-law, but that God is my father-in-law. Now husbands, that will straighten you up. That will straighten you up. That will put the fear of God in you. God is my father-in-law. And God says, don't treat my daughter that way. God says that brother and sister sitting next to you in the room, that's my servant. And you do not stand in judgment over them. Who are you, servant, to judge one of mine? That's why we're not going to go there, brothers and sisters. That's why we're not going to go there. Christians fight for unity by refusing to despise and pass judgment on one another. Number three. Number three. See, number one, Christians fight for unity by refusing to, refusing to quarrel over secondary matters refusing to despise one another, and Christians fight for unity by welcoming one another like Jesus welcomes us. Please start thinking about right now how Jesus welcomes you. Enjoy it. Cherish it. Taste and see that it is good. Welcome. What do we mean welcome? Well, think about how you treat somebody when you ask them to come to your house. And they come into your house. Do you sit them in a corner and ignore them? <laughs> or, or do you engage, right? Like you, you serve them, right? You, you want them to be there. You show them some hospitality. Well, that's one side of what it means, this word welcome. To receive into one's home with the collateral idea of kindness. The other side of this welcome, or just to add something to it, is means to grant one access to your heart, to take into friendship and into contact. Listen to this one author, he says, the Roman Christians were not only to tolerate the weak, not just consider them church members, but they were to treat them as brothers and sisters in the intimate fellowship typical of the people of God. They were to welcome them. We are to welcome one another. Far from despising others, far from quarreling with them, we are to welcome them, taking them into our hearts, into our home, showing them kindness. As Christ has welcomed you. Chapter 15, verse 7. Christ's welcome is based on grace, not work. Not works, right? Our welcoming other people is not based on their uniformity to all of our ideas. It's based on their identity. They are image bearers of God Almighty. And that's why we are welcoming them. Our welcome to others is based on the same grace that with, with which we are welcomed into the arms and the family of God. Think about how thoroughly welcomed you are in Jesus. Take a minute to think about that. Just think about how completely we are welcomed in Jesus. 
We're not dead in our trespasses anymore. We've been given life, not just life, abundant life. Not just abundant life, but eternal life. We're not guilty of violating the whole law anymore. We're, we're told in James that if you violate one aspect of God's law, you are guilty of violating all of it. It's the same thing. We're not guilty of violating all of God's law, but we are guilt-free. We are debt-free. And we are clothed in Jesus' perfection. That's how thoroughly we are welcomed. We're not slaves anymore, brothers and sisters. Who are we? We are sons and daughters. And we are joint heirs with Christ. Welcome others as thoroughly as you have been welcomed by Jesus. We've been talking a lot about justification in the book of Romans. Justification is a beautiful thing. But J.I. Packer explains to us that justification is the basic blessing that clears the way for the crowning blessing of adoption. We're not slaves anymore. God is not just a judge who says, you're cool, you're good, I'm not holding that against you. Our God is a God who embraces us as sons and daughters. He gives us the crowning blessing. Will we welcome one another like Jesus welcomes us? What does this look like, you guys? Has anybody ever uh, uh, tailgated at a football game? Darius is like, I've played in all the football games I've been to. <laughs> some of you would tailgate. You know what that means, right? The tailgate. I hear there's some awesome tailgating uh, for Wolfpack fans. All right? So tailgating. Now, when you go and you tailgate, uh, who, do you, who do you usually tailgate with? Do you tailgate with um, uh, fans of your favorite team, or do you tailgate with fans from the, the enemy? From your own team, right? That's usually what you do. That's what normal people do, right? And why is that? Why is that? Well, it's just easier, right? Like you're having fun. You want to have fun. You don't have to watch what you say about the other team, right? And their players. You can badmouth their coaches, you know, and all this stuff. Everybody is looking through the same lens, right? You know, uh, everybody's looking through the same color lens, interprets everything that happens on the field the same way, you know, they're awful, they shouldn't have gotten that call, that ref is terrible, it went against us, you know. You, you tailgate with people that, that, you know, you share, you have this stuff in common with, right? Well, folks, in the body of Christ, the church, we have to reject tailgating. <laughs> Does that make sense? We have to reject this kind of tailgating. You don't have to... Uh, we can't only build friendships and build bridges with those who share our opinions on all the finer points of theology and all the finer points of education and sports and policy and politics. No, we build bridges in the body of Christ. We press into relationship when it would be so much easier just to keep our distance. But God says, no, that's not what we do. That's not what I've saved you for. That's not what this community is about. We fight for unity without demanding uniformity. Do you want to be a part of a church that has this kind of unity? 
Do you want to know that the people sitting to your left and your right, they are fighting for unity with you. They are building bridges with you. What does this mean? You might need to invite somebody to lunch or to dinner that you've never invited out before. Maybe it's someone that you know has a different opinion on some secondary matters. We can't tailgate in the church, folks. Christians fight for unity by refusing to quarrel over secondary matters, by refusing to despise one another, by refusing, or let's see, what was the other point? By welcoming one another like Jesus welcomes us. And fourthly, Christians fight for unity by sacrificing their freedom for others' growth in Christ. Um, so, so far, we've been talking about kind of how you feel toward other people, right? The things you say about other people, uh, your perspective, you know. Um, but this is where the rubber heats the, it meets the road. It's like, it's all good. You're talking about how I have to think about them, right? As long as I can keep them at arm's length, right? As long as it doesn't, it doesn't disrupt my life, right? And how I live my life. But what does he say here? In Romans 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We need the Holy Spirit for this, folks. Stumbling block, not to put a stumbling block. This is somebody that trips something that trips them up in their faith. They suffer spiritual harm, suffer spiritual downfall. It injures the faith of another. Destroy the work of God. Did you guys pick up on that? Verse 15, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You see, God is building something in our brothers and sisters' lives. They are under construction. We are all under construction. And when we, when we put a stumbling block, when we exercise our liberties in a way we know that might put pressure on them to conform to our convictions, then we interfere with God's construction, God building them, God working on them. So how does this work? Verse 23, but if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. So when brothers and sisters who are perhaps more mature, maybe the rivers uh, of that gospel, the waters of that gospel river have, have reached more of the coves of your hearts and mind, when you exercise that liberty on secondary issues, it can put pressure on weaker brothers and sisters to do something that they just don't think is right. And when we do that, the weaker believer commits sin. And in that case, the stronger believer is said to have not walked in love, made their brother stumble, and destroyed the work of God. For what? all for the sake of food or drink or some other relatively insignificant thing. With the Spirit alive in us, with His power coursing through our hearts, we can fight for unity 
by sacrificing our own freedom. Why? Because our priority is not our comfort and our ease, but it's our brothers and our sisters' strength of faith and growth in the gospel. Think about how countercultural this is. We talked about whether or not we're going to be a mirror or a map. What does the culture say? The culture says every issue is a primary issue. Every rock is a big rock. So if you don't see eye to eye with someone, either you cancel them or you just silence yourself. You cancel yourself and you just don't, don't bring it up. You don't talk about it. It's like, oh, you, I can't have that opinion anymore because it ruffles some other people's feathers. It says cancel them, cancel yourself, and, and then just keep your distance, you know, like, like don't rock the boat, like live your life your way, right? Let them live their life their way. But what is Jesus telling us to do right here? He says, know what's primary and what's not. Discuss your differences of opinion with love and humility and respect, and then change your lifestyle in order to accommodate deep friendships with those who disagree with you. That is radically different. That is radical stuff, brothers and sisters. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of the church. That's the law of Christ. And just finally, real quickly, Christians fight for unity by recognizing the sin, the motives, and the hope we all have in common. Verse 4 or verse 3 in chapter 14, it wasn't just the strong that were despising the weak. The weak were passing judgment on the strong. We all share in this sin. We're all equally disqualified because of our sin nature. But check this out. Look at the motives. They all had the same motives. Uh, Verse 6, He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, to honor the Lord. And he who eats does it to honor the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who uh, eats not for the Lord, to honor the Lord. So ask yourself, next time you realize that you and a brother, you and a sister have a difference of opinion, Maybe you have a very strong opinion on this secondary issue. Ask yourself, but is his basic motivation any different from mine, really? I mean, like fundamentally, what are his motives? I know he loves Jesus. I know that what he's doing is because he wants to maintain fidelity to the Scriptures. He is doing it to honor the Lord. So we've got to ask ourselves, Isn't our top priority, mine and His, our allegiance to Jesus? Don't we share the same Jesus? Aren't we both committed to honoring Jesus above anything else? Very often the answer will be yes, and in which case there's no reason to quarrel. We share the sin, we share the same motives, and we share the same hope. Jesus is our only hope brothers and sisters. Chapter 14, verse 4, the Lord is able to make him stand. We cannot stand on our own. Chapter 15, 7, and 11, we have been welcomed by Jesus, and that's why all the peoples extol him. 
15, verse 13, by grace through faith in, believing in Jesus, God the Spirit has taken up residence in us and gives us reason and power to abound in hope. We share the same hope. Brothers and sisters, we are on the same team. We are in this together. And we have got to fight for unity without demanding uniformity. So what are your next steps? Are you a bit quarrelsome? Are you holding tight with a tight fist some opinions on secondary matters? Is it time for you to start talking with some more mature believers and, and teasing out, okay, should, should I be this upset about this thing? Like, should I be despising this brother and not fellowshipping with this brother or sister because of this thing? Do, do you need to just do some homework on what primary and secondary issues are? Do you need to bury the hatchet with someone? Learn to control your temper. Do you need to ask forgiveness for looking down on someone or deliberately distancing yourself from someone? This is a sin not against this person primarily, but against God. Is it time for you to start building bridges instead of barriers with people that are different from you? Inviting them into your heart. Inviting them into your home. Are we going to be a mirror at Point Church to society? Or are we going to be a map? What will people see when they look at us? When people come through these doors on a Sunday morning, when people come through the doors of the house that is hosting us in our missional communities, what are they going to see? When they listen in on our conversations that we're having in different parts of the house, when they come to our DNA groups where women are getting together and, and men are getting together, what are they going to hear? I pray that they will know that these are a people that are fighting for unity. Amen? Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.